Hello investors, this is Michael with Investorly. At the intersection of financial education and opportunity, we empower you to invest early. In episode 13, we welcome Brian Brinkman, artist, animator, and NFT creator. We learn about his journey from the physical art world into the digital one. Stay informed of upcoming episodes, receive our valuable weekly newsletter, and learn to earn by subscribing at investorly.substack.com. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Investing early means all sorts of things to different people. It can be mentally, physically, financially, uh, just in life. So for you, Brian, how exactly did you get invested early in, in your art career? Well, my, my background and my history, I went to you know art school for animation uh, in Philadelphia at the University of the Arts um, about like, 15 years ago. Um, that was when I was, you know. Going to college, I would say, was an investment. <laughs> it took me uh, a, more, almost a decade or so to pay it off, uh, but it was a great investment. And then through that, I, I had a career uh, in working in animated television, in commercials, in fashion. Um, I've, I've worked in late night television for the better part of the last decade uh, before eventually finding NFTs. And then about two years ago, I joined the NFT space um, and started taking my artwork that I had been creating for online content like tumblers and galleries out in LA, like Gallery 1988, kind of taking all that stuff I've been building for the past decade or so and then putting it into this NFT space. So that, that that's a general su- uh, summary of my, yeah. my art career. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great summary and it's a detailed summary. So let's wind it back to you talk about going to college. Do you go to college knowing exactly what have you been drawn to doing art or artistic type of creative endeavor since you were a little kid? Where does that sort of come from the starting point? Yeah. So I guess um, when I was in high school, I started out making kind of animated shorts on websites like newgrounds.com, which will date me uh, to a degree. But, um, you know, you were kind of putting out content on the Internet, uh, reading the comments of what people said. This is all pre YouTube um, and kind of getting that kind of feedback that that kind of instilled this thing in my brain that I was like, oh, if I make art, I can get direct feedback from the internet. And that like sparked it. Um, so when I was in high school, I was kind of making that kind of stuff. And I, I made the choice to go to college for animation because at the time I was kind of wavering between graphic design or film or animation. And I kind of got the sense that if you go to school for animation, you learn all three of those things. Uh, and you can basically learn how to make and design your own film from front to end as an animator. And I really enjoyed that aspect. So I was able to pick up all these skills along the way. All right, cool. So you go to school again for animation. Now you graduate college and what's it, what's the scene look like? Are you, you know, what? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, you know, it's a tough industry <laughs> to get started out. Right. You know, I was doing internships on like MTV shows, like a uh, wonder shows and, or working on like uh, music videos and stuff like that. Uh, but, right out the gate, it's hard to find a t- TV show that you're a good fit for. And so my, my first job kind of out out in the real world was working as this kind of jack of all trades at a fashion advertising agency where they, I was making like uh, videos that would be pitched to big brands on how to make, you know, this cool perfume ad or something. Um, and so through that, they were like, uh, you know a lot of things, but you don't know it very well. Uh, so how about we pay for you to go take continuing education courses? And so I went to like SVA and learned how to become a final cut editor that way. And so like there was a lot, of, you know, even though you're out of school, you're still learning constantly and you're trying to take in as much as you can. So that was a, it was a tough job right out the gate, but it was also a job that really upped my skill different ways. I guess it's a little bit different from when you come out to, to let's say, to today. It's, it's crazy because you have all these social media platforms and abilities to showcase any of your work right away. Uh, you know, it's still obviously very challenging. So, you know, you have come and done a lot. Looking through your profile, you've got an amazing link tree uh, that you can just sort of see all of the different areas that you um, are on and, and utilize. And it's 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 unique. What would you describe your artistic style to be? Yeah. So I think a lot of my artistic style is kind of a reflection of my own, um, 
journey in this space. So it's a little bit autobiographical, but I always try to use these kind of colorful, simple iconography to convey it so that people can see the artwork. They're kind of enticed by the colorful um, kind of calming aspects of it. And then they can start to understand the deeper uh, meanings behind it. And sometimes they're happy, sometimes they're darker meanings, but I kind of enjoy that idea of um, an, an easy entry to kind of ease people into the story and then they can dig deeper. Digging deeper into the story, very unique. Was there any specific artist that you sort of are inspired by? You like to sort of take their work and sort of morph it, iterate on it, or their vision? I mean, I've seen people call you or think visionary. I've seen, you know, our artist advocate, which you're, you know, we're going to get into. But is there anyone on top of where you, you know, started your art, but like that inspiration from to, to iconography? Oh, that's interesting. I mean, the, the person that I discovered the NFT space through was an artist named Killer Acid. Um, I had collected his work. I'm a big fan of like indie comic artists like Jeffrey Brown. He's a really wonderful artist that kind of tells personal stories in this kind of cute comic book form. Um, and so, yeah, when I, you know, Killer Acid is another example. He creates these really kind of trippy, cool cartoons to tell these like comic strip stories about different parodies or personal stories or just drug or alien humor. Um, but yeah, so I, I kind of saw him using super rare. Um, this would have been probably December, 2019. Um, and I was like, Oh, what is this? What is Ethereum? And, you know, it kind of put me down this rabbit hole where I spent like a month kind of learning the space before applying and starting my super rare, uh, NFT journey in February, 2020. Yeah, so February 2020, you start your Super Rare journey, and now you, you know, today have your own content, not just on Super Rare. You've got Nick the Gateway, you've got, you know, your Art Blocks project, you've got a lot. Because you're such an artist advocate, but you're, you know, on one hand, you're a collector, you're an artist. I, I want to get to the point where we can kind of break down the different platforms in, in your sort of journey on them to help other artists that are interested in that. But before we sort of get there, I want to just add some of your actual artwork and, and if you want to touch on the specific projects and the influence and sort of where you kind of look to them, like Nimbuds, let's say, for example. Like, is there stuff like clouds that just has always been your thing or what, you know, what's the inspiration? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, a lot of my artwork in the space, like I was saying, it kind of started with this kind of iconography and it kind of builds. And I, I really see this, uh, you know, you see it, a lot of my work kind of builds on previous work. Um, and so with Nimbuds, you know, you can kind of source it back a few steps to the summer before I made a piece on Super Rare called Wired that was about me f feeling uh, kind of isolated by COVID. And it's me kind of dangling from all these wires with a VR headset. From there, I later got onto Nifty Gateway and I wanted to kind of return to that motif, but build it in a new way. I felt much more calm and uh, connected with the space. And so that piece had me kind of sitting on a hammock of clouds swinging. And so the wires are the kind of the to the clouds creating this kind of uh swing mechanism and i'm like kind of dripping and trippy and feeling good um that that led to a whole project of uh called the cloudy collection on nifty gateway where all the clouds are kind of connected by these wires and i kind of returned to these motifs of wires and how we're all kind of connected to each other through them um and then when I came to Art Blocks, I looked at that project. I saw um, some people like Lux Pre, uh, who had kind of transformed his style from Super Rare into an Art Blocks. That was a huge inspiration. Um, and then also, I think Slices inspired me because I, I realized that Art Blocks were actually interactive pieces of art. It took me much longer to realize the Chromie Squiggle was interactive, but. Um, so like those two things came to, to me and then I reached out to my buddy Manny. I was like, I think we can, we can turn my, my recent nifty gateway thing into this just, you, you know, create these clouds. Um, and then I think I was inspired also by, um, uh, Avastars, Jimmy, Jimmy's project. Cause that was an early kind of character based on chain, um, generative project. And those, all those things kind of combined in the process of me making that, Nimbuds project and that that's came to be was like all those little bits of pieces and reference work all kind of combined into that project i love that yeah no i i can see what you're saying and it's interesting because i looked at the nimbus project and a uh, nimbuds pro nimbuds project and i'm thinking mm -hmm. what are these uh, like i didn't understand 
the the wires but now that you break it down and sort of explain it that it was taking the the sort of the cloudy project and then building on top of it and sort of uh that that's unique and, and i love it because now that I'm, I'm looking at the cloud project i can see what you're saying it makes a lot of sense yeah 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 so I, I i always try to like you know when i started in the space a lot of my thesis was i didn't want to get stuck doing the same style over and over i wanted to kind of start fresh um and kind of experiment in the space. And the way I kind of did that was instead of sticking to a similar like visual style, I stuck to a color scheme. And so almost all my pieces have the same kind of color scheme throughout, but then they shift between kind of 3D to 2D to programmable to generative, all these other things. And I don't feel like I have to necessarily make the same piece of art every time, but as long as I have those colors, it's kind of like a through line that creates a bigger collection idea. And so that that was kind of my my take when I joined the space. Cause I really saw NFTs as, you know, not necessarily, I didn't see a huge career at the time. I saw it as a cool experimental side project I could do. And so that that's kind of fueled the whole thing. Even to this point, it's like, I don't necessarily want to get stuck making the same project over and over and over. I want to keep expanding, but how do you do that without losing the thread between the pieces? Yeah, fantastic. A thread between the pieces. I got to ask you then, if you didn't see it as a career when you started and how do you see it today? Oh, well, now I'm a, I'm a full-time artist. Um, so it has become a career. Um, I've been very fortunate in that sense. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess it was March of this year, I left my full-time job uh, to pursue it. Um, and so it's now I certainly, you know, the, the space has changed dramatically in two years, you know, uh, you know, my first pieces, they were selling, um, for a couple hundred dollars, which was better than I was doing it selling my physical art because you go to these physical galleries that take 50% cut and you have to ship it out to LA and that costs like $50. And then by the time you sell a piece, you're making less than a hundred dollars. I didn't see that as a career either. I just thought that is a fun way to you know, be artistic, uh, be creative and connect with other artists in this like physical art community. And so, uh, you know, I always had to kind of support myself via these jobs and television and other things. Um, but then as NFTs have grown in the past year, it's really just changed the trajectory and the career paths for so many artists. Isn't that the truth? And you're such a perfect example, as you tell us this right now, about how the NFTs have changed changed career paths and then you breaking it down from your physical art to your digital art and the differences so are you still making physical art and what do you think the the future looks like for physical art um well i've slowed down <laughs> to a degree um i still enjoy making like even this past year i've made some screen prints those i try to elevate them with digital aspects whether it's augmented reality so if you hold your phone up to it you get additional animation um I still think there's a path for physical art. I still think it's tricky currently for artists to necessarily pair a piece of art that's identical as both. But I think there's still, you know, there's like physical art still. There's not like they're shunning it. And a lot of times they'll reach out. And I think my physical art stands on its own as a different style because um, those pieces are a lot of them are either screen prints or these kind of shadow box three, I call them 3D cells because I use uh, traditional animation cell techniques where you, you kind of print it onto transparency paper and you paint, you hand paint the back of it and you create these multi-layered three-dimensional shadow boxes that create a cool kind of parallax room uh, for you to create these like scenes in. Um, I've definitely slowed down, but I, I still think I'll return to that from time to time. Sure. And do you ever sort of pair the physical art of the digital or is that something you're looking at in the future or you just don't do those two things sort of have the project that's digital then be able to be you know showcased as a physical piece too or yeah um well i there's certain aspects i i allow any collector of my nfts to purchase uh infinite objects for instance if they wanted to turn that P nft into a physical display in their room i think that's totally cool um what i see in that sense is what are you creating the artwork for is the original. And so if it's, if I'm creating a piece for an NFT and then it becomes an infinite objects display, for instance, to me, that's merchandise of the piece. Similar to if you go to the Met and you go to the gift shop and you buy, um, you know, a Picasso poster, 
you know, it's still a piece of art that represents what the original was intended for in that sense. So I, you know, I think I see it as that uh, kind of merchandise bonus pieces, because I don't necessarily want the value to be split as to what the original is, if that makes sense. So it's always this kind of tricky aspect to there. And so I think, you know, maybe it's like, there's variants to them. You could have like the, the NFT look one way and there's a variation on the, the, uh, the physical. But I think if you try to make them identical at the same time, it creates a weird split in value. Yeah. It's interesting. It's an interesting to think about and have because of where we are in this sort of phase of how everything is not necessarily transitioning, but there's clearly this huge movement to digital art and where does that leave physical art, but then how do you pair the two, but then do you pair it? And it's interesting to see where we're headed. I want to just get back to art, but I want to do break off for a second because I was looking at some of the clips that, you know, you've been a part of and you talked about being an animator. And so you've animated a lot and you, you know, you look at your link tree and you breaks, you, you know, breaks down to a lot of your animation credits and you've worked on SNL, Jimmy Fallon and uh, so many things. Can you talk about specifically the experience with SNL? Yeah. So SNL, I'm a, uh, you know, I still to this day, I'm a partial effects team there. Um, and what that involves is uh, working on the pre-tape segments. So like the fake commercials or the music videos or, you know, all these things that they kind of shoot on Friday. And then a team of us on Saturday um, add special effects, green screen, clean up, all sorts of stuff. And um, the, the kind of the idea behind that is like you have one day to make something look like it's, you know, film like and really kind of up, up the value of it really nicely. So it looks good for television. Um, and it's been great. I've been there for, I don't know, maybe six years now, maybe more. Um, but it's a wonderful team of people. And even you mentioned Nimbuds earlier, my collaborator on that Manny Morales, I worked with him at SNL and that's, you know, that's, that's the genesis of that collaboration is that I've known him for many years. And now he's one of the lead tech people at pixel vault. So it's, it's kind of interesting to see how it all kind of ties together, but um, yeah, no, that's a, that's a, that was a fun job. And like, even, you know, being a part of it uh, creatively, I got to help with like the NFT sketch they did earlier this year. And I got to put some of my Nimbuds and some of my super rare pieces into that sketch. Um, And so it's been really fun. Wow. You know, I'm a big SNL fan. So I, I've actually, I remember that. I need to go back and watch that one. That was, uh, now that you were saying your Nimbuds were in it, I got to go look at that. But what I think, <laughs> yeah, Easter you know, eggs. Well, I, yeah, I'm definitely going to look that up after this. Now, I want to just dive a little bit more into that because I'm fascinated. As I said, I like SNL. I'm a, a pretty big fan. I've watched for for years. So what, when you talk about you have a day turnaround for the, the visual uh, effects to, to make something, you know, look uh, incredible or change it, let's say you get it. When we get to see the final cut from a sort of one to 10, how much have you enhanced it from that initial you know, point to getting it? Whereas if I saw the initial one to the final cut, it, you know, how much have you sort of overhauled it or really enhanced it? Uh, yeah, I mean, it depends on the sketch, but there's certain ones, you know, especially like ones that take place in outer space, but those are going to be extremely heavy on visual effects where almost every shot is green screened, comped in. Um, there's some where there'll be like animated um, characters or, you know, if it's a commercial, these kind of like breakdowns of how the product works. Um, it's hard to say the exact amount. I'm a part of a big team there. When I started, it was a little smaller, but now it's a, a pretty lofty team full of tons of talented people. And so kind of put our own spins into it. Um, and now it's like, you know, if you're watching a sketch, I probably worked on a handful of shots in the thing because it's all kind of broken down. You kind of pick and choose um, what effects you want to do, whether it's like having someone fall through a pane of glass or, you know, all these different kind of fun challenges. Um, and so, yeah, it's, you know, it's really dependent week to week because everything's kind of you don't really know what you're going to do until the morning of. We'll move it back to art, but I'd be remiss if I don't ask you two follow up questions about SNL. One, yeah. Which which sketch was your absolute favorite to work on? And maybe this isn't the same answer. Second, what's your favorite sketch that SNL has ever put out? Um, whew, favorite one I worked on. I would just go back to like one of the earliest ones I worked on that I felt really proud of was this like hoverboard ad and this was like probably six or seven years ago it was all about hoverboards exploding but at the end of it there's this like fake japanese commercial for 
plane lasers. And I got to animate these little kind of anime style characters that shoot lasers at planes and make them and makes the plane like it's like this cartoon of a plane and it shoots the plane in the eye and it screams and starts crashing. I thought that was just like, you know, that was the early moment of me getting like something of my, like you could sense my style in it on the show. And so I'm always going to be like kind of proud of that early piece. Um, and in terms of oh, favorite SNL thing, whew, I don't know, probably one of the lonely Island pieces. I don't know. I always love those. Yeah. Those are good. All right, cool. So, so let's transition back to uh, to art, and I'm I'm curious. I think about the platforms, right? I mean, there's so many levels to this, but you're intimately involved. You've been in the space now. You've used the different platforms from Super Rare. You can get your content. You can get your stuff. You know, Nifty Gateway, OpenSea. H- how do you feel like the experience is from an artist standpoint on all of them? How would you compare? Yeah, I tend to look at the different platforms as what are their strengths. What can I use them to effectively, like if I make a piece, um, sometimes I know where it's going to go. And then sometimes I go, well, what is this best suited for? Is it, is it a personal piece of mine that like means a lot to me in my journey in the space? If it is, then I'll probably make it a one of one, put it on super rare. I only put those out maybe once a month or so. Um, if it's a piece that feels more commercial, like, um, that I think is going to have more mass appeal, then maybe I'll put it on Nifty Gateway and do it as an addition of like 10 to 20 or something, because then, uh, it can be a lower price point and I can, you know, appeal to a different crowd in that sense. Um, and then, you know, there's, you know, rareable is more like collectibles type things. Um, uh, and then there's always kind of these kind of more niche platforms. And then like, even, um, I just, in the past week or two, I, I put out a manifold contract, which is going to be called the Brinkman Reserve. And that's just going to be a contract for me to uh, make like special pieces as gifts, like whether it's a donation to a DAO or, you know, minting a piece I made for my mother-in-law, you know, that way it doesn't uh, compete with like super rare and all these things. Cause they're most, they're not meant to like necessarily ever be sold again, but I still want them to be minted on a nice contract and so you kind of have to like look at what the piece is what it's meant for and how it how it kind of correlates to the other pieces in that platform's collection and so maybe it's like if i go to foundation i'll use foundation as um kind of a stop motion felt style pieces only you know so you kind of that's that's kind of my my way of looking at it is like what what collection does it fit best in if that makes sense yeah that makes total sense i mean a lot of collections however Let's say you're someone new, you're an artist advocate. So advocate for artists right now in the sense of, I'm an artist, I'm listening to this conversation with you, you've made it successfully, but I'm brand new to this space. I don't really know what's going on. You just named a lot of platforms and places I could go. What do you, What would you recommend for someone just starting out? Uh, yeah, so what I would recommend is first, put together three or four pieces that you feel really represent what you want to do in the space. Like really think about, what your journey is, what your genesis would be, what your first statement would be. Then take that, shop it around to some of the curated sites first, super rare, maker's place, known origin, nifty gateway. You know, those places are going to help you as an early artist by helping you advertise in uh, using their social media, putting an article about your, your work and your genesis. If those don't, don't get upset, take your work, put it on manifold, make a contract for yourself independently and then really, you know, promote yourself heavily personally. Um, I think there's a there's so many different routes, but you really have to really think about what is your statement as an artist when you're joining the space, you can, you can start fresh, you can work from your past work, you can do whatever you want, but you really have to make sure you think about, you know, what you're going to be. So with that mindset and that idea, that's really good advice for any artists that are coming in, what's their genesis going to be? Had you, you know, today, would you have done things differently or do you think you did it pretty you know, well for your intro to the space? I don't know. I think early on, I tried to subscribe to this thing of, uh, I, you know, even going back to what I did, like I would say 10 years ago, I did one t-shirt design a week and then I would sell those t-shirts. Like I like creating these kind of arbitrary deadlines for myself. Um, when I joined the NFT space, I was doing one super rare, one of one a week. And I kind of held myself to the schedule for the first like nine months, which was great because then I had a whole bunch of pieces. I had like, you know, 20 something pieces. Um, and I wanted to keep that kind of scarcity and 
all that together. I think if I knew now what I knew then, I probably would have minted a little bit more and not held myself to that because then I would have had, you know, a lot more of uh, what people consider like OG mints or something like that. But um, in, in my mind, I still think it was probably the right choice at the time to make sure that my pieces held value. And then it wasn't until say nine months in that I started thinking about doing additions and kind of appealing to a different uh, collector base. Um, maybe if I had thought about it differently, I would have gotten to additions earlier and expanded my community earlier because I do think, um, you know, one of ones you really, you're, you're having to really appeal to these kind of bigger collectors. And a lot of those bigger collectors are not, going to take risks unless it's you can say your first Genesis piece, then maybe they'll take that risk. Um, and so you're kind of limiting your growth um, early on. If you're only appealing to that, that whale community. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's finding a little bit of both is probably the best way to go about growing quicker in the space. Right. And it sounds like you did a lot of trial sort of by fire trial balloons testing different deadlines out that you gave yourself so you're on super rare you're putting stuff out you know weekly hitting your time frames at what point did you feel it there's got to be a point where you sensed hey this is actually catching uh i'm starting to make big you know bigger people are making bigger bids in my artwork i'm making more money it seems like i'm getting a bigger audience when did you feel that when did you know that and when you felt it what did it feel like um, yeah, I think it started, I started to feel it around the fall and winter of 2020. I think around the time I got on Nifty Gateway, I also did, um, this, this kind of thing called Pranksy Land, where I built a candy shop and crypto voxels. And it was kind of this like installation slash gallery and crypto voxels. And through that, I kind of got a lot more eyes and people started picking up. And I was also putting out additions on Rarible and I started getting a lot more collectors in that sense. Um, I think that was when I started because to that point I had maybe, you know, through Super Rare, I had maybe 15 collectors. So that's a very small community of collectors. But um, once I started expanding into you know, metaverse and additions and then doing nifty gateway and all these other addition type things, I quickly expanded into like, you know, over a hundred collectors. And then it started to feel like there was something more substantial going on. Uh, certainly felt fortunate from the beginning, you know, my, my work was selling, but it didn't, it still felt very small up until that point. Yeah, that's a significant uptick in followers, uh, people holding your artwork and stuff to go from that. So it's interesting. And at that point, you start to re realize, like, doing a lot of stuff. Then what? I mean, does it, you just keep going or did you change your mindset or you said, I got to work harder? And what, what happened there? Um, well, at that point, yeah, I guess after Nifty Gateway, I had this kind of this feeling of, OK, well, I've. I've done a lot of these kind of animated gifts. What more can I do um, in this space? And that's when I started looking into art blocks. That's when I connected um, with this choir called Vertigran Ensemble uh, to do an async music Genesis piece, um, which is programmable music and art. Um, and so then I started thinking of these more long-term, because a lot of what I was doing up to that point was making stuff on these kind of one to two week deadlines putting it out. And then I started thinking, okay, well, what can I do in one to two months or what can I, you know, even the async piece took like six months, you know, it's like kind of these long-term projects that kind of build up over time. Um, and then it's also like, what else can I do in this NFT technology space that can't be done outside of the space? And that's when you start getting into this kind of generative code-based programmable world. And so that kind of expanded uh, the possibilities. And I think that all just came about because after 10 months of doing the same thing, you're like, okay, what more can I do in this space? You know, you know, I'm curious if we move Brian towards, you know, a new year, it's going to be 2022. And so before we move to 2022, can I ask you about what's really been your highlight of 2021? Oh man. I, yeah. I mean, I've, um, a lot of amazing moments this year having, my Genesis NFT, I, I minted on super rare in February, 2020 resell it through Sotheby's. That was a huge highlight. Cause that was like, you know, something it really, it really 
took everything full circle and the, from the beginning to the now. Um, so that was definitely a highlight. Um, going to these NFT events at NFT NYC and Art Basel were huge highlights because I got to connect with all these other artists in real life and also the collectors in real life. Those were really special. And yeah, I think... I think those are easily some of the, you know, the most memorable things, but I've had a lot of highlights this year. I'm actually, I'm in the process of trying to like uh, re review the year personally and make like a, a thread of like, here's my highlights. So I'm, I'm in the process of kind of thinking about that right now too. Well, listen, that's a, that's a great year to, to begin with already. I want to know more about the Sotheby's thing because I think that's a fascinating point, right? Sotheby's breaks into the scene, you know, one of the most prominent auction houses uh, of forever then they start doing auctions that take into account NFT. And so you have a piece listed with them. Can you talk a little bit more about that process where they either, they reach out to you, did you have a connect that puts you in touch with them? How does the whole process work behind the scenes and then throughout the sort of auction? How does that go for you? Yeah, well, for my, you know, I know that they're working with artists to make new pieces for their platforms as well. Uh, but in this year, I've, I've had two different pieces be a part of Sotheby's auctions but both of them were secondary sales so the first one was a part it was a part of an art blocks lot of i think the first like i might get the number wrong but the first 19 art blocks projects got put together as a lot and auctioned at sotheby's in london so that was the first time and then later um it was uh jimmy.eth has my or had my genesis piece and put it up for auction as a part of this new um sotheby's metaverse um, launch that they put together. And so that was a part of a bunch of, they asked a bunch of collectors to kind of put your favorite pieces up for auction. And so that was, uh, you know, I was a part of that. So, um, all, again, all these were done kind of, you know, the outside of my knowledge and they're all wonderful surprises to me. <laughs> yeah. That's a wonder. I could see why that's a wonderful surprise. It's a nice thing to have. So, so you had two pieces from Sotheby's this year, secondary and, you continue to evolve. You're putting together a thread for to think about all of the highlights in 2021. Uh, we still have week plus of the year. I'm sure people can look towards that thread coming out. But what does 2022 look for Brian Brinkman? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm I'm doing a lot of different projects right now. I'm excited to kind of do some commercial projects to a small degree. Um, I'm I'm doing a piece. Uh, for Gemini's credit card that's going to come out soon and be a part of their ad campaign. And then the NFT will get auctioned off for charity. And that sounds like, a, I mean, I'm, I'm really excited about that. And then uh, I have my next Nifty Gateway drop is in March. I'm going to continue to put out super rare one of ones uh, throughout the year. And then, yeah, I'm, I'm getting involved in a lot of different projects. Um, one of the projects I'm really excited about that's coming out next year is called Change DAO, and I'm helping uh, advise and build a platform for artists to mint and sell NFTs to raise money for charities and causes. And so that's that's been something I've been working on for the past I don't get four or five months now. It feels like, um, and it's it's like almost about to launch, and I'm very excited about that because I think that's going to be a really cool use case to talk about how NFTs can be a force for good in the space. And so. Um, and in addition to that, I'm also, you know, an advisor on NFTs WTF, which is um, a media platform for NFTs. And so, as you know, I'm, I'm really excited to see all the different ways I can branch out and become a part of DAOs and just become a bigger part of the space um, in general and help uplift it. Yeah, I love that. I love the idea of you being a bigger part of the space from an uplifting standpoint, from a charity and charitable standpoint. I want to move towards the way that you sort of articulate helping and advocate for artists. But before we do that, I want to just know about the charitable part of this. You uh, you seem to be very interested in the charity component. So what charities specifically are you very, or, or causes are you very passionate about supporting? So that's a great question. And that's something I don't yet know yet. I mean, I'm very passionate about a lot of them, but I don't have a favorite. And so that's why um, when I was presented with that question, I was like, well, if I don't have a favorite, how can I help all of them and that's that's kind of like the root of uh this project and i've certainly donated to a lot of carbon offsetting ones and um environmental ones but uh i'm i'm excited to learn through this project i've learned about a whole lot of really great ones and so 
I, that, that, you know, it's, it's a little selfish in that way that I'm, I'm using this as a way to learn about a lot, but I, I'm, in, I'm excited about that educational component of it. That's exciting. That's a, that's a really good cause. It's exciting. And it, I love the honesty and transparency. I mean, there's nothing wrong with not being sure what, what it is, but figuring it out as you continue to innovate and, you know, do things for a good cause. So, so we've talked a lot about you as the artist, your, your sort of history, your come up, but you from the collector side, flip the hat, right? And now yep. bring in the collector. What do you like in art? What do you collect? Yeah. No, well, I mean, even before NFTs, I'm a huge fan of collecting, um, you know, physical art, screen prints. I collect records and all sorts. You know, I'm, I'm, it's just a part of me as a person. I've always collected lots of stuff, comic books and trading cards. Um, and so uh, in the NFT space, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of collecting art. I'm a real big fan of collecting art directly from artists so that the proceeds go to them. I, f- I always find if you can buy from an artist directly, in my mind, it doesn't matter if it 10Xs because I'm directly funding their journey. And I think a lot of people in this space follow trends, but a smarter collect are investing in young or not even necessarily young, but artists that are new to the space. They're kind of still getting their footing because if you can give them the money to continue to create, you're directly investing in your own personal you know, chances of success 10 years from now or five years from now. I, I think a lot of people think of these like short-term flips, but there's something really rewarding about investing in an artist, seeing them find success in the space and watching them grow. It's just a totally different experience. I I love the idea of charity involving the other artists. You're an advocate for an artist. Let's say someone's listening. They've gotten to this point of the conversation. They've just joined us. What do you say to, to to all artists in general? (laughs) Um, I don't think you should limit yourself to how much you put out, but really think about the quality of what you're putting out uh, because all this stuff lives forever on the blockchain and you're going to, you know, look back on things and you go, okay, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have minted that. You know, it's all a learning curve, but I also, I'm a, I'm a real believer. A lot of artists, you know, they get really worried and they go, well, you know, what if I put this out and the price goes to zero? And it's like, I think the beauty of the technology in this space is that there's no finite way to lose. You can always figure out ways to bring value to past work, whether it's saying, you know, you put out a project of a hundred editions, maybe you over minted it and the value goes down and you go, Oh no, the, the people aren't going to buy my other stuff. Well, then you, when you put out another thing, you say, Hey, you have to own this past work in order to get this next thing. And as long as you continue to make quality work that people value, you can fix any prices by rewarding people and bringing value to past work in that sense. The wisdom that's uh, there's a lot there. It's pretty deep. And and speaking of you obviously maybe don't have the answer. None of us really do. How do you see the industry trends moving? You talked about having the crypto voxels work. Where do you stand when it comes to metaverse? Are you particular to any specific one? And how do you think the next 12 to 18 months look from just web three standpoint? For artists, uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm a huge believer in the metaverse. I'm a I'm a real believer that the art we're creating right now is decoration for future virtual homes, um, or museums, or you know. So where I think it's going to go is um, catering to those virtual worlds. I think we're going to be creating a lot more virtual sculptures that'll be used in you know. Decentraland or crypto voxels, or we're going to be creating virtual fashion. I think a lot of people right now are really focused on their digital faces, whether it's an ape or a punk or all these things. And not enough people are thinking about the wardrobes that can change, you know, daily or multiple times a day for different events. Like, I think virtual fashion is going to be just explosive in the next year. And we're already going to see it uh, with Genies and Artifact and Digital X. And I think the more that you can kind of think about creating your art in ways that can be used as patterns, uh, there's so much potential there. That's incredible. Yeah. Making me think there. Uh, Digital art. Yeah. Wow. Um, Kind of stuck there for a second. Uh, I'm intrigued. I'm excited. So it's been an interesting conversation. It's exciting. Are you still animated early, Brian? 
Um, yeah, no, I'm always, I'm always creating, whether it's just sketching on the iPad or playing around cinema 40, I'm always finding ways to be creative. How much of your stuff when you're just kind of doodling or, or writing or creating some stuff ends up seeing the day, like sees, you know, let's say the population, you know what I mean? That's not just hidden. Yeah. Well, even working in television, I always felt like my ratio of what I created and what got to air was maybe like 30 percent. And so it's probably similar to that where I make some stuff. Sometimes it doesn't really figure itself out. And then I return to it later on. Like there's been projects that I sat on for six months because I, I started it and I couldn't figure out how to turn it into an actual composition. Um, and so it, it, I've, I always kind of return to the pieces to a degree, but, um, yeah, I think there's a little bit, there's definitely some that fall to the wayside. And then sometimes, you know, you can just tweet those out. You don't have to mint those, you know, I think you should always still share what you're creating, but you don't necessarily have to mint them and sell them. Yeah, it's great advice. So you talked about some of the exciting moments in 2021, one of them being the in-real-life events like NFT, NYC. Let's talk more about that experience here because I know you were doing a POAP. What was that whole experience like being in real life with collectors and other artists after such a long period of sort of everybody kind of being secluded? Um, yeah, no, I mean, that's been that's been one of the more interesting aspects is that, yeah, the first like year and a half of my journey i mean i joined the nft space i would say a month or two before everything shut down and so yeah it's it took over a year before i got to start meeting some of these other artists that i collaborated with in real life um it's been pretty incredible and like nft nyc it was just a real moment where everything that had felt so virtual became physical and real and everyone got to kind of celebrate together and uh, kind of look back on the past year which is just changed i think for the most part anybody that was at that event it probably changed their lives in many ways and so it was this kind of like big uh relief and a big like exhale after a long year of everyone's just been working non-stop and even you know even in ftyc felt like a wear out i lost my voice by the end of it but it was just because i was so excited to just talk to everybody it was so fun that's exciting and yeah and so then while you were there you had the po app right yeah, so I worked with the the POAP team. Uh, reached out to me because I've you know they're they're awesome and I've uh, worked with them in the past. And so they were like, "Hey, you know, would you want to create a piece that would be a part of the scavenger hunt?" And I said, "Sure, that'd be great." And they said, "Hey, also we have these these like physical badges if you want to make a piece for that." And so then I came up with this idea of uh, anybody that met me in real life, I'd give them this POAP that would say, "Hey, I met Brian in real life," kind of thing. And so I, I ended up taking that idea as well to uh, Art Basel. And so I really kind of like this. Uh, but that one, I had it where you had to scan my QR code on my phone for it to work because it changed the QR code every time. So people couldn't like take a picture and duplicate it. So it was really like a real if you met me and you you know remember to ask, I would you'd have this like memento, which I think is like to me, it's a it's a more uh, personal version of a business card because. Um, it's going to stay in their wallet forever. You know, most business cards get get sorted out of wallets after a certain amount of time, but NFT business cards last forever, which is kind of cool. <laughs> That's a great line. NFT business cards last forever. I love it. I like that so much. So I want to ask where we're going to be seeing Brian next. But before that, I want to I want to know your experience at NFT NYC and you meeting people. Who was the artist that you got to meet in person that you were actually looking forward to the most like you're like i need to meet this person here and this is the most exciting moment who i don't know i I'm probably coldy was up there i'm such a huge fan of coldy and like early on like he he kind of led the space and how to go about being thoughtful about releasing and artwork and i got to meet him in person that was really exciting i got to do a, a talk with him at a, a event for the change platform we were doing and so um I think that that was definitely up there. I got to meet Josie. She's also like such an OG in the space and a huge inspiration. And like over, I guess a year ago, I got to do her talk show. And to me, that was like, you were asking about like, when did I feel like I made it in the space? I think it was when I did Josie's YouTube talk show called Behind the Art. That was when I felt like, oh, okay, I'm a part of this community. I've made it. So getting to meet her was awesome. And then conversely, 
not you being interested in meeting someone, but obviously people got to meet you. I mean, they had to find the POA app. They wanted to meet Brian Brinkman. Was there any specific moments where people met you and either were very surprised at what you look like, sort of are as a person, as opposed to the digital identity that you you know showcased for a year and a half before meeting people, let's say? And was there any sort of memorable moments on that end? Oh, I don't know. I think a lot of people go, oh, yeah, you do look a lot like your cartoon. <laughs> so I think, uh, you know, it, I don't think people necessarily right away, but as soon as I introduce myself, they go, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, you're, that's exactly what I thought. Um, so I, I don't know any, I can't think of any stories specifically right now, but it was, I, I, I gave away like hundreds of those PO apps. So I just met hundreds of people. It was really special. And then you also were at Art Basel. But looking at 2022, what's on your schedule? For where, let's say, an artist is or a collector or someone might run into Brian Brinkman again. What's on the schedule next year? Um, yeah, so I think the next thing I'm planning on is going to be uh, the NFT land, which is run by Token Smart, and it's going to be in Las Vegas in March. Um, again, early on in my NFT career, uh, Matthew and Rizzle and all the Token Smart people were huge supporters, and I got to go on their like work in progress uh, metaverse meetups and talk about my artwork. And so they're they're a huge part of my early journey. Um, and so I'm excited to kind of go hang out with all of them in Vegas. That's going to be really cool. And then, yeah, it seems like you know, I I found that NFT NYC and Art Basel were like a month apart from each other, and I don't know if I can handle going to like. Uh, different cities once a month. <laughs> I think I might limit myself to maybe like four trips a year, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of a lot of cool ones. I'm hearing about possible events in Greece. I have a crypto Berliner, and so I might try and fly out to Berlin to mint my crypto Berliner. I've heard that there's some LA events. I love going to LA. And then, yeah, I'll probably try and go back to our Basel again next year. And of course, I'll be at NFTMIC. That's where I live. I love it. That's a lot of information in there. So we do have a question uh, from someone in our audience. And so let me ask you about that. From our audience question, we, we want to know about your creative process, your go-to tools, the workflow when creating your pieces. Yeah, I would say it, it usually starts with sketches. I'm usually sitting down, drawing on my iPad or in Photoshop and starting with sketches, kind of thinking of visual motifs. And then I take that into either Cinema 4D or After Effects or Adobe Animate. And I create assets that then I use to kind of like collage together and I eventually composite them all in After Effects. Because, uh, yeah, after, so, and then to some degree, a lot of well, I guess, yeah, to a lot of degree, I love to use randomization. Um, and whether that's particle systems or generative stuff, I like to kind of find ways of using my own personal touch, but then allowing a little bit outside of it, allowing the computer to dictate a bit of the randomness, because that, that allows me to be surprised. And I think there's something exciting about that. We've heard about a lot of the places you might be in 2022. I'd probably be remiss to not ask you a general theme about not just art, but cryptocurrency, blockchain. How do you see it evolving over this decade? Oh, yeah, I think, well, I mean, yeah, I guess this is an investing podcast, so we should talk more about investing stuff. <laughs> um, I think... Um, where do I see it evolving? I think there's going to be a huge amount of competition between blockchains that want to grab hold of this NFT energy. Um, and if you, you know, if you look at what I'm investing in, a lot of it's Ethereum, but I also invest in Solana. I also invest in Matic. I think, uh, you know, Flow. I, I think there's a lot of potential on layer two blockchains that are going to be used for collectibles and video games going forward. If, if, and, you know, in, in general, when I invest in, you know, I've invested in the stock market for probably like half a decade or a decade now, um, I invest in things I use. So if you look at like my portfolio in the stock market, it's like NVIDIA, Apple, Microsoft, you know, uh, Activision, like to play video games, you know, like I'm, I'm investing in things that I know that I'll continue to use for the next 10 years. And I see the same thing with how I invest in blockchain. I go, well, what of these, you know, where am I going to be creating on? Um, what do I think has a stronger appeal to commercial NFTs, for instance, like, and so those are the things that I'll kind of look towards, because those are the things that I at least I have some understanding of. And when it comes to like, uh, you know, these kind of like, Shiba coins and all that, like, I have no idea what any of that means. But like, I can understand investing in blockchains that I see myself using in the future. It's very good advice that we often hear from some of the smartest in the business for 
eternity that uh, invest in the things that you sort of know and use. And so that uh, makes a lot of sense what you're saying. This is actually a great point because I didn't ask you this and I was thinking about it. So your work is on Ethereum. You talk about investing in Ethereum. You've talked about some of the side chains, the L2s and other blockchains. Are you going to put any artwork on other blockchains or what's your feeling about that? Yeah, and I have. I think I'm I'm not a, a Ethereum maxi in to a purest degree. Um, I've put out um, work on Flow on Versus Flow, which is a great platform for releasing NFTs on. I've done drops on. I was a part of the Collective GG uh, platform, which is on Immutable X, um, and that was one of the first Immutable X platforms. Uh, I was a part of Artvitars, which was one of the first Matic polygon nft launches so i'm always you know especially from a eco standpoint and just cost of gas standpoint i think if you're going to do mass releases it's better to look off of ethereum because uh the secondary will eventually die if the cost of gas is higher than the cost of the piece and so i'm always kind of looking into those things but doing them in a ways that you know even like Bezos, i collect on i haven't minted on yet but i see that as having a huge potential as well i think there's a lot of different ways you can go about it that don't necessarily devalue or split your work i think it's better to try these out see what works see what people are collecting on um and just kind of having having fun experimenting in the space. Because again, when I started this, this was all experimental and I'm still experimenting. And I think it's just better to give everything a try. See what see what you like. I like that. That's a good information for all the potential artists in the space that, that hear this. Give yourself uh, opportunities across the board in the different areas. Look for a lot more from Brian. We have the last question to the guest who maybe they came in late, but what's your wisdom for the new NFT artists? Um, yeah, I think in general, as an artist in this space, my advice is always uh, think of it in thirds. Uh, spend a third of your time creating art. Spend a third of it working on promoting it effectively, making you know teaser videos, uh, recording yourself talking about your art so that there's a personal connection with it and really using social media, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, whatever, uh, using that effectively to tell your art story. Because a lot of people, you know, even when you go to a museum, they have, they have to usually read that little blurb next to it to understand what the piece means. Um, if you're not giving that information, people aren't going to know what they're buying. Uh, and then the third aspect is connecting with the space. Uh, in order to find success in the space, you have to build trust. You have to let people know that you're in it you're invested in it uh, with your time and your energy. Otherwise people are going to be weary that you're just trying to make a couple bucks and you'll run. Um, people are investing in you long-term in this space. So join discords, use Twitter, go into the metaverses, go to the in real life events that all three of those are super important to cater to equally in order to find success. We'd like to thank Brian Brinkman and the community for a great conversation. Stay informed of upcoming episodes, receive our valuable weekly newsletter, and learn to earn by subscribing at investorly.substack.com.